Right now we're in a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. This is part three uh, today. It is a book by the late Jerry Bridges, uh, and it takes on a, a subject that really a lot of times isn't very popular. Uh, and because sometimes when things are difficult, we tend to just say, ah, I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, but that could be to our peril. So we decided we would take on the study, and we're going to dive in uh, to part three of that uh, after our openness in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to unpack your word. Thank you for Jerry Bridges and the work that, that, uh, that he did under the, uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for again uh, using him in our lives today. Uh, I know, Lord, that he has received his, his uh, reward in heaven and no doubt has received well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, his legacy continues today, Lord, as, uh, as we take the step toward sharpening ourselves and each other through the study of your word on a topic that uh, is talked about quite a bit, and that is the topic of holiness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So uh, we're, in, we're in part three, and, and this is titled pretty straightforward, Holiness is Not an Option. Holiness is not an option. You remember some of the verses that we talked about when we first started. Uh, we, we talk about those a little bit in this chapter, and I know it's one of those verses that I've gone back and looked at many times. Hebrews twelve fourteen, make every effort, underline that because we're going to talk about that, to live in peace with all men and to be holy. So that means that effort is tied to being at peace with all men and to be holy. And then, of course, the writer of Hebrews doubles down on the importance of this. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. What does this mean? Uh, so th does our salvation depend on some degree of our attaining some level of personal holiness? Well, Scripture is quite clear on, on two points here. Uh, so let's be sure that I'm going to tell you today, and I told some of the guys as I, as I was talking to you in the last week, I, I will say that this is pivotal today. This is important. If, if you're going to understand, and I'm going to understand the rest of this study, I think chapter 3 is a turning point because I think it lays out the balance pretty clear. And then once we understand the balance, then I believe we go forward on all the application and, and the action that we take to be sure this has been addressed in our life. So if any point today I've lost you or I'm not doing a good job of communicating something, you be sure and let me know. Now normally I know we're a lecture format and, and so interruptions can be a problem for those that are listening other ways, but I want to be sure that we get this communicated correctly today. Uh, so, so this is important because we'll start right here. So let's first of all be sure we have this right. On the question, the scripture is clear on two points about whether our salvation depends on some degree of our attaining some sort, some level of personal holiness. First, the best Christians can never in themselves merit salvation through their personal holiness. So it's impossible for me to say I'm going to somehow achieve salvation because I'm going to be so holy. So that, that is incorrect. Our righteous deeds are filthy garments in the light of God's holy law, Isaiah 64, 6 makes that very clear. Our best works are stained and polluted with imperfection and sin. As one of our, the saints who wrote several centuries ago put it, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Even our, even our most wretched moment, our more, most broken moment, still requires the grace and mercy of Jesus. Okay, so that point's clear. Now, second, Scripture repeatedly refers to the obedience and righteousness of Christ on our behalf, meaning it is Christ who makes us um, righteous. The disobedience of one man 
the many were made sinners. So that's Adam. We know that we had to have the new Adam. And, and through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. Make a note of this to be sure you're clear. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Romans 5.19. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteousness to bring you to God. Also, 1 Peter 3.18, same thing. Write that down. 1 Peter 3.18. These two passages teach a twofold aspect of Christ's work on our behalf. They are often referred to as his, this is important, his active and passive obedience. So stay with me. So so we know we're made righteous by Christ, and we know that there's nothing that we can do with the, the best day of personal holiness that is going to somehow achieve salvation that does not involve the price that Jesus paid. So let's, let's talk about active and passive. Active obedience means Christ's sinless life here on earth. He was tempted. He, he, ha- he, was, he was given the choices. Uh, Satan himself took on Jesus. So there was an active obedience. I will not sin. I will not betray the will of my Father. His perfect obedience Gave him absolute holiness. Now, this perfect life is credited to those who trust in him for their salvation. Now, to the passive obedience. His passive obedience refers to what? His death. He could have fought against that on the cross, which he fully paid the penalty for our sins and then placated the wrath of God toward us. The wrath of God is coming on all sin. It still will. Let's not lose that. Say, still will. And Jesus Christ, picture a big flood of God's wrath coming, stood in the way, took the flood, and took the wrath of God and paid the penalty of our sin. So that was done and completed once and for all in Jesus Christ. Uh, So think about this. And by that, that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Write down Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will, we have all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Again, Hebrews 10.10. So we see that our holiness before God depends entirely on the work of Jesus Christ for us by God's will. But here comes the turning point. Are you ready? So is that the type of holiness that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? No. And now there's silence in the room as we all go, well, you you took a lot of time to, to tell us that, that our, our perfection is found in Christ. That is correct. Our holiness is, is, is completely in the body of Christ and his work. That is correct. But is that what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And the answer is no, that's not what the writer's talking about. That's true, but it's not what he's talking about because why? We, we, we certainly see that there is something that, that, is, that has got the word effort by the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews speaks of a holiness that we actually strive for. So we make every effort to be holy, and without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, this is where, this is where the study really... But this is important because I'm going to tell you in my own life, trying to figure this out is, is crucial. Scripture speaks to both a holiness for which we have in Christ before God. Just made that one very clear. It speaks to a holiness that is totally accomplished in what Jesus Christ has already done and is a gift for those of us that are willing to take the gift of his grace and mercy. 
but there is also a holiness that we are to strive for, and they both complement each other for our salvation is a salvation to holiness. Now, I'll, you want me to try some, some Rick Burgess, C. Student at Calhoun County explanation on this? Oh, yeah. All right, so what, what we're talking about, if you really want to think about it, is we're talking about that, yes, holiness has completely been provided and the power to be holy has been accomplished by the person of Jesus Christ and the passive and active obedience that he, portray, that, that he completely portrayed for us. However, there are people that somehow are claiming that they have experienced and been justified through, remember the action words I told you about, submit, resist, come near, that somehow I've, I've done what I claim has happened. I've claimed I've, I've got complete access to this, this powerful flood of righteousness and holiness. However, somehow I'm still not holy. My behavior still has no holiness. I'm still behaving in a way that I did before I claimed that took place. And Scripture says, not possible. Not possible. Salvation, and we'll get to this more in detail in this study, salvation should begin to, uh, to, to produce a holiness in every person who's truly experienced it. And see, it's almost like saying, I've been given athletic ability, but I'm not doing any reps, and somehow I'll still be really athletic. Now, you have the potential to be athletic, but you're also going to have to work to be a good athlete. I, I got a chance to do that. I ended uh, my coaching uh, run with with a group last night, and one of the guys on the team uh, is going to play for North Carolina in lacrosse, which is you know a very successful program. And I said the biggest problem that a lot of you that are young here that still have to go is you think this guy ended up at North Carolina just because he was born a good player. He certainly was born with a lot of athletic ability, but I've watched this guy ever since he was a little boy. He throws more than anybody else after practice. He throws more at home than anybody else. He runs more sprints than anybody else. Uh, he's the first one to practice, the last one to leave. He bangs on his craft and works on it more than anybody else in this room. That's also why he's better than all of y'all. That's why you see he certainly was given the ability to play, but he had, he had to bang on that craft to be any good at it. Is that, is that, you follow that example? That's what we're talking about here. And so uh, it, on, on page 3233, I, I think that you'll see that um, there, there's, there's a great part of this book that gives you scripture that'll help. So let me hit some of that for you. Uh, it's talking about the two aspects of holiness that complement one uh, or complement each other about a salvation that we have received is a salvation to holiness. Look at this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Write this down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. So we see that Paul is writing to Thessalonica, and he says, For God did not call us to be impure, but he has, he has called us to live, actively live, a holy life. Uh, to the church at Corinth, to the Corinthians, Paul said, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. That's 1 Corinthians 1-2. So here's Paul writing, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, which is what? To be set apart, to be made holy in Christ Jesus and then called to be holy. Well, why did he say that? Why did he just say sanctified in Jesus? What's this called part at the, after that? What, does that why is that needed? 
because it's two, di two different things. There's a sanctification that is totally provided by Jesus Christ, but then there's a call to be actively holy. Everybody still with me? This is scripture. This is, this is, not, this is not commentary. This is scripture. The word sanctify means what? Made holy. That is that through Christ, we're made holy in our standing before God, but then we're called to be holy in our daily lives. So we have the potential to live a holy life, but you have to actually do it. You have to actually do it. It doesn't just happen. And that's the reason why you see so many people, and I certainly was one of these people too, stalled. They're just sitting there stalled. I, 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 I think I was justified by Jesus. Okay. What now? Well, Scripture says that this is not a bunch of do's and don'ts like legalism. It's saying here's what holy people do and here's what holy people don't do. You know, think about it. Why are you taking, where's that conviction that Jesus fully provided in the Holy Spirit that when you're around something, you're like, I, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. And see, the reason why I had to come to the conclusion that I was just totally lost, and I, and I spoke to the young business leaders yesterday, and um, I don't know that I'll ever be back, but I took that opportunity. <laughs> no, it, it went well, but I took that. I mean, you could tell people were saying, well, this is not what we thought. But, but I, I took that opportunity to say just the same thing that happened to me. I said, what I don't understand, and I guess it's just pride. It was for me. Arrogance, I don't know what it is, that when you see people who think they had some sort of experience with Jesus, and that's what I'll call it, and it's changed nothing in their life. And now they're living a life that, with just as much debauchery as they ever did, saying they believe in Jesus, which we'll get to today. Why is it so hard for us just to maybe consider that maybe we're just lost? Maybe we really have never experienced salvation. Everybody always wants to call it something else. Everybody wants to think there's, there's, there's got to be, and I'm not saying that every situation is that. But I'm telling you that if anybody, according to Scripture, the things we just read, thinks you can walk around and receive all that wholeness provided by Jesus Christ, and then as you begin to live your life, you don't see anything change, what have we said for four years? Well, that doesn't say much about Jesus. That's salvation. Good news, you're not going to hell, but you're going to live like a hell the whole time you're down here. That's not what Scripture says. And remember our study of Acts, that's not what happened to those people. On the other side of Pentecost, they were never the same. Right? We talked about the higher standard. And uh, so, so the writer of Hebrews is telling us to take seriously the necessity of personal, practical holiness. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives at our salvation, he comes to make us holy also in practice. If there is not, then at least a yearning. In, in our hearts to live a holy life pleasing to God, we need to seriously question whether our faith in Christ is genuine at all. Which is exactly what I was saying. You know what the Bible is saying? That's not possible. You're, you're, it's like you're claiming that you have experienced a flood, but you're not wet. I, I don't see any evidence that you've even been around the water. Oh, no, man. I took on, you wouldn't believe the tidal wave I took on. Wait, you got hit with the tidal wave? Yep, you're dry. No, look right here. Oh, I guess I see the, I see the tail of your shirt's wet. That's right, man. Totally engulfed me. No, no, it didn't. I'm looking at your shirt. It barely touched you. And, and, and so where is the proof that, that what we claim happened in our lives actually happened? And this is a good, a good, a good deal. So when we're justified, 
Picture justification as a spark. You know, here, here's the spark. Hey, I, I, can, I believe in my heart sincerely. I confess with my mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I repent. I, t- I, I turn a 180. Sin's here. I turn a 180 to sin. I turn to Jesus. I repent. Thank you for what you did for me on the cross. Thank you for everlasting life you provided when you walked out of the tomb. I acknowledge that you have paid the price for my sin. I now, with all the sincerity that I understand about you right now, I submit to you. I repent. Save me. If, if all that is sincere and only God and you know that, then the Bible says you instantly receive a spark called justification in your dead spirit. And that's the beginning, but the spark should grow until it becomes a flame. And that's where action comes in. A desire to live a life wholly pleasing to God. True salvation brings with it a desire to be made holy. And my question to you and to you and to those listening, does your life look that way? Because what what the Bible's saying is if you truly experience salvation, a desire to be holy comes with it. And then you say, well, I desire to be holy. And then the Bible says, well, then here's how you be holy. Then do this, don't do that. This is what we do. This is, you know, and what, what do we say in First Peter, which we all want to change, I do too, that we then become holy as he is holy in all of our conduct. But you can't be holy in your conduct if you don't first have the spark that is the desire and the ability to be holy. Somebody say, got it? Okay. So it says, when God saves us through Christ, he not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but we've been saying this for four years, but also from its dominion. You have too many people, especially in the Western church, walking around thinking that God's grace has just delivered them to the point that now they're free to do whatever they want. Whew. God's judgment is over. So I've been freed to sin. No, no, no. You've been freed from sin. Well, I know, Rick, I've been freed from the penalty. He said, no, 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 no. You've been freed from sin, period. Now, I'm not saying that all happens instantly. That's why we're talking about the action to be made holy. But what it does mean is you now have that spark, which is every time it get, that fire gets bigger and bigger, sin's more and more uncomfortable to us. And the more it becomes more uncomfortable to us, the more we don't want to be around it. Around it, the more we pursue Christ, the more powerful we get. And all of a sudden, we start loving him because we know him more intimately and we love him so much that we hate sin because he does. And then when we hate a sin, you know what? We have victory over it. I speak that in my own life. The only sins that still live in me are sins I still don't hate. You know, and, 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 and the ones that, that Jesus taught me to hate because of his presence in my life, I do hate and I don't struggle with them anymore. And that's not some applause for Rick Burgess. That's an applause for the power of Jesus Christ. I don't have enough self-control to do the things that Jesus says to do, but I've noticed he really does have the power to do it. And the only reason why it wasn't happening sooner is I didn't want to give him control of my life. I said, don't send me to hell, but don't bother me. I'm, I'm coming up with all this other stuff we're going to do. But see, it, what did he say? And this is the thing, remember, this goes back a few studies back, but some of you are new here, so this is good. Jesus says, look, my burden is light, and my, my yoke is easy. But what we want to do when we're grace abusers is to say there's no yoke at all. He never removed the yoke. He just says, don't do this begrudgingly. Understand that where I'm guiding you is a better life. Hey, but I still am guiding you. If you take my yoke off and throw it away, then you and I are not together. 
my, my burden's light, my yoke is easy, but it's still there. And what we think is that this is some sort of legalism, and you see people demonize this and run it down, and holier than thou, and sanctimonious, and certainly those characteristics can be found. But usually this kind of jargon is just an excuse not to address the lack of holiness in your life. It's just an excuse. Because the Bible says holiness is part of salvation, and it's a, it's a fruit of salvation. It doesn't earn us salvation but it's a fruit of salvation. But you've got to understand that don't let the adversary sell you. You haven't just been saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ provides enough power to free us from the dominion of sin. Bishop Ryle. Now, look, when I start talking to J.C. Ryle, this time I almost didn't even want to read it again because he's so difficult to understand. Are y'all thankful that Jerry Bridges went ahead and read J.C. Ryle's book on holiness and basically interpreted it for us? So I'm thankful. I don't know if you ever tried to read that thing. Wow, it's a great book, but man, Bishop Ryle, I'm telling you. Uh, but here's what he said. I doubt indeed whether we have any warrant for saying that a man can possibly be converted without being consecrated to God. More consecrated he doubt, doubtless can be and will be as his grace increases. But if he has not been consecrated to God in the very day that he was converted and born again, I do not know what conversion means. He said, if anybody truly has experienced Christ and nothing is changing in them, I doubt that ever happened. See me interpret that? It was a lot deeper than that. But, but, uh, but that's the bottom line. All right, let's look at Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.4. The whole purpose of our salvation is that we be holy and blameless in his sight. To continue to live in sin as a Christian is to go contrary to God's very purpose for salvation. So, so salvation was designed for us to continue to live in sin? No. It was designed for us to be holy and blameless in the presence of God. That's what salvation is all about. Remember, if we had to have a Savior, then undoubtedly there was something we needed to be saved from. So to, it's almost like saying that, you know, here comes the, the life preserver into the water and we just keep treading saying, we got it. You do see the preserver, don't you? I got it and I acknowledge the life preserver. I acknowledge it is there. I acknowledge that I can be saved from drowning. Well, why don't you grab the life preserver? I don't think I will. I think I'll just sit here and tread water. But I do acknowledge that I can grab that if I need to. And then, and, and then we grab it, then let it go and just go back to treading again. He says, no, what this is doing is this is, got not just, this is not just saving you for eternity. It's delivering you from the dominion of sin right now. Be, be honest, guys. That's why I think this study is important. That's why we've been doing this for four years. Do y'all really see that that much in people's life? I really don't. And we wonder why so many people don't see the church of any use to them. Because they see too many people that go on a pretty regular basis, and it doesn't seem like it's changed them at all. And you know what? Then people get a, salt, a false sense of, well, if that's salvation, I'll probably have it too. I certainly believe in Jesus. But see, they're not seeing a, a, a sanctified group of people that are not of this world. They don't, they're not seeing enough of that. And so the, this is what it's talked about. So an unknown writer three centuries ago, I don't know why we don't know this person, but we don't, but it says, what a strange kind of salvation do they desire that care not for holiness. What, what a strange version of salvation does one desire that does not care about holiness. They, they would be saved by Christ, yet be out of Christ in a fleshly state. 
they would have their sins forgiven, not that they may walk with God in love in the, in, in, in the time to come, but that they may practice their enemy against, against God without fear of his punishment. He said it's a strange kind of salvation that doesn't have any desire for holiness. This is like saying that God needs to save me or else I'm going to die forever and then saying, go ahead and save me, but I have no desire to be holy. I have no desire to, to walk with you. I have no desire to be with you. As a matter of fact, I'm not really going to take this, this problem of my sin against your holiness seriously, and I really don't fear that there's any punishment. And I love what the writer says. That's a strange kind of salvation. That's a strange salvation. Holiness, then, is not necessary as a condition of salvation. That would be saying salvation by works but as part of salvation that is received by faith in Christ. Jesus Christ really does start a spark of holiness in those who have truly been, been saved, truly been justified. So if you want to know why that's never happened in your life, Scripture says it's likely that you just lost. You've never experienced salvation. Rick, who are you to say? I'm not to say, but the Word of God says it. You remember the guy who led me to Christ? after I'd been claiming to be a Christian as long as I was coherent to know right from wrong. When I said, who are you to tell me I'm lost? He said, I'm not telling you you're lost. Your life's telling me you're lost. I'm not making the call on your lostness. You are by just the way you live because I don't say much about Jesus. How can he be Lord over this? And he's right. And I had to deal with that. That doesn't mean that we must have a conscious desire for holiness at the time we come to Christ. I certainly didn't. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit who creates within us a saving faith also creates within us a desire for holiness. And that's the difference in Rick, the cultural Christian, and Rick, the true Christian. Because when I sincerely got on my face and said, this man has been used by you to convict me, I see James 4, 7, I see submit, I see resist, I see come near. I know that I haven't done any of those things, and I know that I have tried to find some way to believe in you enough that you would save me, but I've never experienced the life-changing power of you, so something's wrong. And when I finally said, I give up, I know some testimonies in here. I see Steve nodding. I mean, look, Steve and I, if you'd asked us any time in our life, we'd have told you we were Christians. But there was a moment when we had to confront the holiness of God and realize that our life didn't have any of that. But when there was sincerity, sincere, sincere subjection to Jesus Christ, submitting to his authority and say, I truly repent today of my sins, change me. That spark of holiness was there. And so then the next time, talking about it's not instant, I'll just tell you my own life. So I, I was sure I was saved, but I was like, now what, what has to go? And I really didn't want to make that list because there were some things I didn't want to go. I, I, knew that, I knew something had happened because you know what happened? I went right back into the bars that I used to live in and love. And the minute I stepped back in the bar, I said, I can't be here. I didn't legalistically say, well, I can't go to the bars anymore. I tried to go back. But that spark of holiness wouldn't let me go back. I, I can't be in here and be comfortable anymore. And suddenly I look at this place that I thought was so wonderful and it looked so, like so much despair. I, I saw the alcohol was actually sucking the life out of people, not bringing life in. I looked at the women that I thought were attractive and realized they really weren't. Instead of a place to go to actually get away from all the troubles of life, it was a place of sadness. Why? The Holy Spirit. 
I'd truly been justified. Now, did that mean that I went, okay, and now I got everything together? No, no, throughout my sanctification, it continues today, brothers. It continues today. Things that at one time, I look back, we used to do a thing um, called Fat Fest where we went out and did all these bands and comedians, and I had been in a bunch of bands, and I was, I was no doubt I was saved because I was seeing the fruit of it. And I sat down and put together a set list of what we were going to play. And I go back and look at that set list right now, and I go, what an idiot. What in the world are you doing claiming that you're a, a follower of Christ singing these songs? What were you thinking? Well, it didn't bother me, but it does now. There's no way I'd sing those songs again. Why? When did I start listening to praise and worship music? I don't know. It just happened. Now, when I legalistically tried to listen to it, I didn't like it. You know what? I didn't think it was really better than the other stuff I listened to. But then as I began to pursue Christ and that spark became a fire, then that fire began to crave the Lord Almighty to be praised and worshipped. It didn't really crave songs about drinking and chasing women. I didn't legalistically stop doing that. The Holy Spirit stopped it. So my question to you is, why are some of these things in your life and you're still comfortable with them? If you still are, there's, then there's, there's either work that needs to be done, just like this may mean that you're not mature enough as a follower of Christ yet. That's going to come. It could be that. But if these things are rampant in your life, not just little places that need work, I'm talking about just rampant, like your life doesn't show any signs of anything that the world give you know you you can watch something that don't bother you, you can listen to something that don't bother you, you can treat somebody somebody that don't bother you, you can cheat on something that don't bother you. If this is everywhere in your life, you got to address that because there should at least be major conviction that shows you some kind of guidance. You know you know what I pray most every day, most every day, and this is a great prayer on this topic. Lord, take me and get me aligned under your perfect will for my life. Convict me where I'm wrong and affirm me where I'm right. I, I want the sensitivity of your spirit in my life to say, uh, oh, this is, okay, right here, sir. Lord, is this where you want me? This, Art, this feels like I'm at peace. Uh-oh, bad, don't need to be with that person. Don't need to do that. Probably shouldn't promote that client. You ever, you ever said this? This is always a good sign. I don't know what's wrong right now, but I don't, I'm not doing this. I'm troubled in my spirit. Now, don't be like me in my idiotic state in my growth. I'm getting better about this. To be troubled by the Spirit and then not respond to it. Well, that turned out bad. You know, I was troubled in my spirit about that. Well, why did you do it? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, God gave me what I asked for, and I just ignored it. Isn't that the beautiful thing? Well, you learn that when you have kids, don't you? Every time I get frustrated with my kids, God goes, I guess you know how I feel now. You've been an impossible child. Are you ever going to get what I'm trying to call you to? You know what I say, though? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get it. Not because of how wonderful I am, but how powerful you are. Somebody say amen. amen. So what we find out is that, 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 that when we have this desire for holiness, he, rec- he creates within each saving faith, he creates a desire for holiness, and he simply does not create one without the other. There's no such thing as true salvation without a desire for holiness. Everybody with me on that? That's scripture. So remember, if you look at, at, at Paul, when, when, when he's writing to Titus, and if you want to write this down, you can go back and read it. It's in chapter 2, uh, 11 and 12. But the bottom line is this. Paul is, is saying that um, 
I'll, I'll, read, I'll read part of it to you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The same grace, and this is big, this is a write down again. The same grace that brings salvation teaches us to renounce ungodly living. The same grace that brings salvation teaches us to renounce ungodly living, we cannot receive, I love this line, we cannot receive half of God's grace. I Give me all the salvation, but none of the holiness. I want all the grace. I want all the mercy. I don't want this holiness thing. The Bible says you can't have it that way. You can't, it's impossible to say, are you saved? Yes, by what? Half of God's grace. I, it was, I think it was enough. Do you have a desire for holiness? I do not. But I think I think I got enough of God that I'm not going to hell. I, I think I'm there. But what a dangerous life that is. I mean, isn't it a great feeling? And we'll we'll, we'll close on one of these verses. I got to tell you what this. I, it's only been in the last probably 12 years of my life that if you asked me, are you 100% sure that you've been redeemed? that I could say, yeah, I am. I can, I can tell. There's, there's really no doubt about it. I, I, I certainly haven't achieved perfection, and I certainly have made some mistakes even under the authority of Christ. I was convicted and I corrected those, but I can just tell by the way I live and the things that I have a desire for and the things that I don't have a desire for, that's not the way it once was. I, I, know, I know him, yeah, I know that I'm, I know I'm saved. I haven't always been able to say that. And it's part of the time I wasn't able to say that because it wasn't true. But here's what it says. If, if you think about holiness and, and you think about how important it is, no one can trust in Jesus for true salvation unless he trusted in him also for holiness. Holiness, this is not, holiness then is not necessary as a condition of salvation, as we said, but it is overwhelmingly the result of salvation. So this is what James was talking about. You know how a lot of times people get confused about the book of James? How many of you were here from when we did the study of the book of, the book of James? Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of things in there about faith without works. and what, This is what he's talking about. This is exactly what James is talking about. This study of holiness should help you to understand James is talking about holiness. He's saying it's impossible for somebody to truly be saved, and there's no works that produce from that. And then he goes on to say what? And this was my problem. I was an example, which is why God took me to the book of James to save me. You know, it, it didn't matter whether I could handle the book of James. It didn't matter. God knew that the, the way he made me and where I was, if he showed me these truths, I would understand what James was saying. You're claiming something there's no proof of. You, you would not be found guilty of being accused of being a follower of Jesus. But what James is saying is where the confusion comes in is this demonic faith. The reason why, if you're, if you're someone who says, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the concepts of Jesus, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but there's no proof of that in your life that it hasn't changed anything, then James tells us that we have the faith of a demon. Demons believe everything about God. Intellectually, perfection. They believe every single thing that is true about God. 
I've said this to you before. If you go through, the, if you want to go before Pentecost and look at the disciples going around trying to figure out who Jesus really was, the demons tell them who Jesus is correctly, even when they didn't do it correctly. Son of the Most High, why have you come to torture us? Throw us into those pigs. Uh, Acts chapter 19, Jesus we know, Paul we recognize, but who are you? Jesus we know. Well, see, if you were like me, I lived the, a large portion of my life having a demonic faith. The demons and I would all agree on the same things about Jesus, and our lives would also look the same. We're in rebellion against him. But we believe in him. So what James is saying, if you want to see if you have a demonic faith or if you experience a true salvation experience, then there should be something being produced by that new life that is proof that you're not just another demon that intellectually believes in Jesus but rebels against him. You're actually under his lordship, and you are now being transformed by him. God's nature demands holiness in the life of a Christian. Say it again. God's nature, because he is holy, demands holiness in the life of any Christian. When we are called to salvation, we are called to fellowship with him and his son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.3, 1 John 1.5, holiness is required for fellowship with God. And think about this, when you think about the question that David asked in Psalms 15, verse 1. Psalms 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Or if you want me to put that and summarize that like Jerry Bridges did, Lord, who may have fellowship with you? The next four verses tell us it's the one who lives a holy life. So David asked the question, you know, which great writers do, how in the world can we be in your presence on your holy hill? And then he answers, I'll tell you how, by living a holy life. My, my holiness is confirmation of my belief in God's holiness. He who has called me is holy, therefore he's making me holy in all of my conduct. I'll say this again, if there's a lack of holiness in the life of the so-called Christian, that, that genuine salvation is not confirmed. Prayer is crucial, but sin that remains in our life hinders our prayers. Have you ever been taught that? We talked about that. We did that lesson on prayer one time. Think about this. If you look at what Peter said, I may be getting ahead of myself. Peter is telling husbands in one of his letters, I think it's 2 Peter, where he's saying that we are never to be harsh with our wives or don't be harsh with women if you're not married. He said, because you have to understand, though they're equal, the woman has been made a weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't mean less strong. That doesn't mean less powerful or less valuable. That doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that women break easier. The weaker vessel, meaning like porcelain, would break easier than steel, but it's more valuable even than steel. So it's not a value issue. It's just it, it's women break. Don't treat a woman harshly because they break. And gosh, we've seen that, haven't we? And you know what he says? And the man who doesn't follow these instructions, God doesn't hear their prayer. It hinders their prayer. It, now they're static between you and God because of your behavior toward a woman and toward your wife. Listen what David said in Psalm 66, 18. If I have cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I, it, it, this repentance I need to do before God, if I didn't own it, 
if I didn't own it and take this sin and give it to God and say, I repent, I'm sinning against you. If I had cherished it, if I'd have held on to it, when I asked for redemption, God would not have heard me. Remember what I said. What is repentance? Repentance is I, I'm facing sin and I turn my back on sin completely and I turn to you, Lord. Forgive me. I, I repent of this. But then too many of us, like I did, try to say, well, now, wait a minute. I don't want to look one way or the other. I kind of want to be right in here. And so I, I can see sin to my right and I can see Jesus to my left. And I'm going to see if I can't hold right here. Now, this might be a great position if I was playing defense, but it's a terrible position of repentance. Because what God is saying, I don't want you looking back at that anymore. I want you to turn around and look at me and let me make you holy and, and, and let me remove. But so, so if, you, if we're cherishing sin in our heart, brothers, I love you, but the, the Lord cannot hear any prayers until he hears one prayer, a prayer of true repentance. Now you can talk to God. I mean, if, if you have sin in your life and you're hanging on to it and you won't repent of it, God doesn't hear your prayer. He's not listening. He can't hear you. I mean, you know, that's one of the biggest problems we have doing a talk show now is everybody's going to cell phones. I like the convenience of a cell phone. But right now we're getting to the point where the, the worst thing a cell phone does is actually let you talk into it. All these other things you can come, but you try to talk to somebody. <laughs> Man, I can't hear you. If you. My wife, what are you doing with your phone? I'm not doing anything. I'm just talking into it. Move it. It's not in the right place. Move your phone around. Honey, I'm just talking in it. Well, that's the life of clinging to sin. You're trying to pray to God. He, he's saying, all I hear is a bunch of static. We, we don't have a clear line here. <coughs> What's the static? Sin. When we're holding on to some sin, we are not pursuing holiness. And we cannot have fellowship with God. Perfection, that's not what we're talking about. But, but a seriousness about holiness is exactly what we're talking about. You know what one of those things is when you want to see true repentance? Grief over sin. Have, have you, have, what, what was it? And I think Danny told us this um, once, the famous story about the little boy that the teacher kept telling him to sit down, sit down, sit down. And finally, he sits down after she really says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's going to be a lot of problems, you don't sit down. And he said, I want you to know, I'm physically sitting down, but inside I'm standing. I'm still standing. If we have that kind of attitude toward our sin, there's no forgiveness and there's certainly no holiness. We, we have to get to the point that we grieve over the fact that we'd ever sinned against a holy God that is so gracious and so merciful and so holy and we would treat him so poorly. You know, I've, you've heard me say it a thousand times. I think one of the most profound things that, that Sherry and I were taught through our, our suffering was when Sherry said when she understood that she was thinking about this from our point of view only. And when God revealed to her that, that, that his children are dying daily and, and removing themselves from his presence because they will not receive the redemption that he, that he is offering or we're not out telling them about the redemption that is found. He says, my children die every single day. And she said, for the first time ever, I had compassion for God. Do, do, we, do you ever think about it from God's point of view? Ever? I know it's hard sometimes with some of the bad theology we got out there that somehow we're the center of the universe. No, God's the center of the universe. We're not the center of the universe. God is. And here he is saying, I had the right to reject you. I've even gone through times I regretted making you. 
but, but I love you so much that I've done whatever needs to be done so that you and I will spend eternity again. I can return to the garden and we can walk together in the, in the cool of the day. And that's not good enough for you. There's still something in that world and something in that fallen flesh you think's better than me. How would you feel? See, that's the way we got to see sin. We got to grieve over it. We got to take it serious. And that's the only way I have any victory over it, to be honest with you, is when I'll stop for a minute. I go, okay, what I'm about to do, because I got news for you. I love y'all as best I can. And I love my wife and I love my children. But I have found that I can always justify doing something that isn't exactly right to another human being. Because I can find some kind of flaw in you, some kind of fault, some kind of attitude. Doesn't mean it's right, but that's the way the flesh always works. It's trying to justify what it's going to do. Always. We love to make excuses. But would y'all agree, when you look at a holy God that could have wiped us off the face of the earth and never missed a beat, and to take the grace and mercy that he has provided for us, how are you ever going to find fault in him? But what do we do? Why did he do that? Like I said, doing this study, the thing I've taken away from it the most is in the Garden of Eden, we were, he, he provided everything. And he said, there's only one thing I don't want you to do, and that's to go over and eat off that tree. Everything else is provided. And we were convinced that God was unreasonable. And now, with the ability to have all that redeemed, for him to come back again and say, now let's do a do-over, let's do a reset. I have once again provided everything that you need. I have, I have provided redemption. I have provided holiness. I have provided the ability to have obedience. I have provided transformation. And we look at him and he says, but, but there's one thing I want from you. I want you to be holy like I'm holy in all your conduct. And we go, well, there he goes again. Unreasonable again. How dare him ask me for holiness? Who's he think he is? See, we always think he's unreasonable. No, he hasn't called us to any standard he can't achieve in us. We're not to holiness because we just don't want to be. We sing about holiness, but inside, we're standing. We sing that he's on the throne, but inside, we are. And that's what he's looking for, is us to be honest about our situation and then... And then he, he's gracious. Holiness is for our own well-being. Hey, remember that? Me talking to you about the professional fisherman that time? Isn't it weird how Rick Burgess, I'm not going to use y'all as an example. I'll use myself. How weird and odd it was for me to at some point in my life, being completely transparent to you, I was certain that sin was better than holiness. I thought it was a better life. And God's going, but you do see if you had been holy how, how few regrets you would have now. I was doing this for your own well-being. It ain't just about me. It was also best for you. Because I created you to be holy as I am holy. Think about that. I mean, and I'll use this tonight. I'm going to have a chance to address some seniors tonight as my youngest is graduating, the youngest I have here on earth. I got one younger in heaven. But the youngest one here on earth... And I'm going to tell them tonight at, at 17, 18 years old about the men's conference that I went to in Mobile. And there was a lot of guys my age and a lot of you in here that are about, you know, within 10 years of my life. It would apply to all of us. 
I'm 54, so if you're in that 10-year circle, either above or below me. And I remember when the time of decision came, and, and Rich Wingo, who, by the way, that you know is, is working right now to get this abortion bill done, and, it, and it's got one more step. We'll pray about that before we go for the governor to sign it, and then the game's going to be on, and it's going to be a wild ride. But when the time of decision came from, from these men, I could hear them wailing uncomfortably at the altar. I thought it would comfort me to hear that kind of repentance, but it actually was very uncomfortable. Men our age, I'm talking about squalling screaming and back to holiness is for our own good and I remember Rich having the wherewithal to grab the younger guys who were kind of coming to the altar now they were kind of scared and he put his arm around him he said I want you to listen to this this is the sound of regret listen listen to these older men groaning at how they rejected God now tonight they can be redeemed and that's great but there's a lot of things they wouldn't be crying and groaning about if they just listened sooner. And sin does matter on this side of heaven. And see, that's what God is saying. This call I have on you and this, this spark I provided, if you'll build that flame, it's for your own well-being. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. He punishes everyone. He punishes everyone who accepts him. I mean, think about it. When you say, hey, hey, God Almighty, the perfect Father, I want to become your son. I want to become your daughter. You know what he says? Well, expect me to discipline you because I love you. And I'm going to discipline you, what, for your own good. I, I may, I, me getting, making you holy may require some refinement by fire. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. That though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, the Lord is grieving you through a trial to test where you are. But it's for your own good. No one teaches like the Lord. But think about this. In Hebrews 12, 6, he said, anybody who says, I want to be your child, he's a good enough father that he will discipline those children out of love. To persist in disobedience is then to increase the need for the discipline. Do you hear that? That's important. All we're doing, we continue to be disobedient, is to tell our heavenly father, I don't get it yet. Do you remember when your parents finally punished you so severely you said, now that particular thing I will not revisit. You couldn't get me to play with matches right now if you tried. Because I played with matches that burned the woods down and I ain't never forgot what happened. I've never forgotten it. And so what he's saying is if you look at 1 Corinthians 11.30, and I know some of you don't like to read this the way it is, but it is as clear. Write it down to go back and read it if you want to. Paul is telling Corinth that because of the disobedience that would not be corrected in the church body, God eventually killed these people. They were too damaging to the church body. Now, I'm not saying that God took their salvation from them. 
I, I don't know the state of this. Might have been something that that was you know abnormal that they had just started doing that they wouldn't deal with. He kept calling. I'm telling you, the standard of the church body, the standard of the children, is much higher than those that said, "This ain't my daddy." You know, what if you looked out and you saw me over here and I was taking care of my kids? I was getting them in line. There was a bunch of kids running all over. You said, "Rick, what about these?" I said, "Those aren't mine." There was a day when people disciplined them anyway, but you don't do it now. You'll go to jail. But what I'm saying is, I'm not. Do you see me out grabbing up other people's children? No. I only discipline what? The ones that are mine. So he says, I kept looking into this church body. Y'all kept claiming y'all belong to me. I told y'all to deal with this open sin that's going on in the church. You haven't dealt with it or these people won't respond to your attempt to deal with it. I want the integrity of the church body so much. It means so much to me. And, and look at it. First Corinthians 1130. It, Paul says, I'll tell you why some of y'all gotten sick and died as God killed you. That's why some of y'all are dead. Because you wouldn't listen to him when he kept trying to discipline you. He eventually did whatever he had to do. So holiness is for our own well-being. Point two, holiness is necessary for effective service to God. 2 Timothy 2.21, we cannot bring our service to God in an unclean vessel. Who's, who was in the Calvary Road study? That goes way back if y'all want to go back and look for that. In the Calvary Road study, one of the things that Roy Hessians taught me, and I've never forgotten, was his analogy of dirty cups. Do you remember that? God cannot fill up his Holy Spirit. He's not going to pour it into a dirty vessel. I mean, you got to get your, you can't be living a life that God can't honor. God's not going to have anybody. If you don't believe that, you go, well, Rick, why is that such a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Look around. I had people years ago that, that, that I knew personally, some that I was working with, they doubted their salvation because the pastor was found to be living in rampant sin. And when that came out, they're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm like, well, well, your pastor didn't save you. But it caused so much confusion, people started going, what? wow, this guy was telling us all these things. And, 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 I, and I was like, but the things he said were from the Word of God. Yeah, but, but Rick, how come he wasn't applying them? Oh, I, I, hey, I, that looks bad. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, and, and, but just know that he's not the standard. But he was, our, he was our shepherd, right? But Jesus is ultimately your shepherd. You see, you see why it's important that, that we don't just let anybody? It's, it's important. You're not going to be of any service to God if he can't trust you with it. So, so holiness is necessary for you to be effective in your service for God. Write down that 2 Timothy 2.21. You'll see it. Number three, holiness is, holiness is necessary for what we just talked about, our assurance of salvation. Over the course of our lives, listen to this, True faithfulness always shows its fruits. Write down 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And what did we say Jesus said in Matthew 7? A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Not it should not. It cannot. So if you're a tree and you keep bearing bad fruit, that Christ says you're not healthy yet. Now that may mean you're lost or it may mean your sanctification process is not where it needs to be. So, so, so kick it into gear. Be actively pursuing holiness because you're bearing bad fruit, which means the tree is not healthy. Not should not bear bad fruit, can't. So when you know that you've gotten to where you're a healthy tree under the authority of Christ, it's when you stop bearing bad fruit. And bad fruit, of course, is, is our lifestyles, not just, just, not just stumbles. And then, of course, we've talked about this before. 
so I'm not going to revisit. I think I even talked about it in the last study about the Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is the many will say, you know, that they did all these things in my name and, and I will say, get away from me. I never knew you, you evildoer. And, and, and then, but, but don't miss, remember this. If you missed it last week, write this down. The key to that verse is he said, only those who do the will of my father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, people may claim they're with me, but if you don't see obedience in their life, they're lying to you. Demonic faith. I don't know these people. They claim they know me, but see, if they really knew me, you wouldn't see that. Those that know me have got that spark that's now turning into a flame, and they're about my father's business. They're about my business. They're obedient. Those that aren't with me are not. And you go, well, how do I know which ones are which? You know what Jesus says? Just watch them. Just watch them. And we'll end on that terrible, sad story that Jerry Bridges talked about. And this was the son who got all excited, true story, about that he had finally become sanctified and, and forgiven and became a follower of Jesus. He went home to tell his daddy about what had happened with him so he could lead his daddy to Christ. Daddy's 60-something years old. You know what he says to the son? I'm already a Christian. I, I said a prayer when I was a little boy. And the, and the son was, 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 was kind of downhearted. And, and, and when the pastor started asking him, son, why are you so downhearted? He goes, my daddy says he's already saved. And he asked his son, he said, in all the times you've known your daddy, have you seen any evidence that your daddy was saved when he was a little boy? You know what the son said? None. None. I was coming home to tell daddy what happened to me so it would happen for him. And he told me he's already saved. Do you see any evidence in your father that he was ever saved? And the boy said, now that I know the truth about salvation, no. So if people looked at our lives, if somebody, if you have children and they went to our children and said, do you see any evidence in your dad's life? If you're a woman watching who has children, your mother's life, if you don't have children, do you see evidence in your brother and your sister and your friend and your coworker? Who, who, whatever situation you're in, if somebody who knows you well, not an acquaintance, either a dear friend, a family member, a son, a wife, and, and somebody says, have you seen any evidence in that person's life that they're saved? Not what they say, but what they do. What would people say about you and me? What would they say? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this, this convicting but very clear message. Lord, I, just personally, I want to thank you for this study because it's, it's really clarifying things for me. Um, things that maybe I, I, maybe I believed mostly, but now, now I'm understanding clearly. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that those of us in this room and those of us that are watching, listening, that we know the spark has already been placed in us by you, that we'll now start taking action to turn that into a fire. Because, because you've given us a spark and you certainly have, have, we have the ability to experience that flame. May we take every step in our life now to say, you know what? Salvation has changed me and I want to be changed fully by the power of you, Jesus. For those that are assessing this now going, I think there's an issue with me. Well, I pray we get that resolved. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'll draw them to you. 
If you're out there, you have questions or any way that we can help you uh, on the journey, because we're on the journey with you, just rick at rickandbubba.com. Rick at rickandbubba.com. I'd be happy to walk with you. Lord, go with us as we step out into what you now have called us to, and that's to be under your authority and in line in your perfect will for our life to impact a lost and dying world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, men.